be. I'm sitting in my office one day, and my assistant comes running into my office, white as a sheet, and she said, Ming Tsai is on your line. And I looked at her and I said, who the bleep is Ming Tsai? I'm James Zug, and this is Outside the Glass. Before we get started, I just wanted to thank everybody who has rated and reviewed, subscribed, commented, liked, added to their playlist, followed, and shared Outside the Glass. Really appreciate all the support and uh, connecting everybody uh, to the podcast. Uh, another thing just wanted to mention was uh, every issue of Squash Magazine, there's a, a transcript of part of one of the uh, podcasts there. Uh, the October issue, which is the uh, current issue right now, has uh, a reprint of uh, a little bit of what Andrew Shelley spoke about. Pick up Squash Magazine. Uh, you can find it online as well and read those uh, those little excerpts. Uh, they're good fun. So today we have Amrit Conwall, and Amrit is a, um, a well-known person in the game, uh, though he's only been in it for about 15 years. Grew up in Hong Kong and didn't really uh, play much at all until he moved to Boston and joined the University Club of Boston about 15, 16 years ago got into it uh, as so many people do and has gotten involved at all different layers being a board member at squash busters uh, he's the chair of the board of the squash and education alliance and he's also on the board of u.s squash the national governing body next month is the uh, 25th anniversary jubilee of the squash and education alliance and urban squash in general enjoy a lot of squash gets played in Hong Kong, but was but, it getting played when you were there? Uh, yeah, people were playing squash, but yeah. it was it was an elite sport that people played at the private clubs. And my father was right. was a military man. We didn't belong to any of those clubs. I never played it. I was aware of it. And uh, I get to I get to the University of Texas at Austin. What year? Nineteen eighty four. I arrived there, and people. I don't think a lot of people remember that. Softball squash was being played in Texas. Big time. Houston, um, Dallas. Yeah, Houston, yeah. Dallas, Austin, Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. A lot of softball squash back in the back in the eighties. That's right. And there were squash courts. They were all North right. American oh, okay. squash courts, yeah. but they were playing softball on these on these courts. Yeah. And uh, and and I would hit the ball a couple of times because one of the part time jobs I had was working at this school recreational sports as a as a student. A work part-time. study. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So so I I. Worked rec sports as a as a building coordinator, and I had people that supervised, you know, checked IDs and things yeah, that, that yeah. I was in charge of. Right. And occasionally, I'd get on the court, but I probably hit a racquetball more than anything else. I'd never seen that sport before, but but hit a squash ball a few times. Right. Fast forward many many years later, I'm in my late thirties. Where it would move to Boston from New York mm. for a job uh, at, at the time with Putnam Investments, and we're living mm-hmm. in the Back Bay, and my daughter is. My daughter is um, two and a half, and my son's just been born, and we're starting to think about a place for the kids to swim. And there were three pools within walking distance, one at the Sheraton at the hotel that allows uh, community members, one at what was the Sports Club LA, mm-hmm. uh, now the Equinox, and mm-hmm. one at the University Club. And, and physically, the University Club was the closest one to get to. But we looked at all three pools. We liked the University Club proximity as, as well as good family program. So we joined the club ostensibly as a to be place. A swim, to swim parents. Yeah, yeah, as swim parents. And um, and I walked onto the squash courts and I go, oh, yeah. These I remember look, this. These look familiar. So um, so I, I bought What year is this? This is, uh, <clears throat> this is 
probably early 2000s mm. um, yeah probably 2002 and when you were in New York you didn't no, squash was not a part no, of your world I, I lived in Greenwich I worked in I worked at Pepsi in in a, you know which wasn't in the city yeah, and, and, then, yeah. and then at some point I started commuting to New York City doing deals and it was one of those I was early in my career I was first in last out um, I didn't do anything for exercise I barely got to the gym so, so I, I go to Chris Barr who's our Club Pro, I, I buy a racket and I start hitting the ball and Chris says, hey, we've got opening weekend in the fall, you should come play and I played and he, he, he says, you should play league and I said, sure, so he slots me into the D league team, right? I don't know what that is, 2.0 or 2.5 and, and it, was, it was funny because I, I, started at, I started on the D team and by the end of the season I was on the B. Um, in one season? In, in one season. I picked it up really quick um, and, and, and a lot of that has to do with, I was a pretty competitive badminton player growing up in Hong Kong. Really? Yeah. Um, so were you playing junior tournaments? Well, I, and... you know, I would have been playing the equivalent of it. It wasn't yeah. very organized, um, huh. but I only played it oddly enough till I was uh, till, uh, through middle school. And then I switched schools. I went to a, to a, a, a sort of a British expat school and played all the English sports. Rugby. I played, I played rugby. I played cricket. Yeah. I played football or soccer. Yeah. Um, but uh, we didn't have a squash court at that school. Otherwise, so I probably that. would have played yeah. that. Right. But there was no more badminton. And no more ping pong, but but I but but those were the big classic Chinese sports. So all through primary school and middle school, you I, were played, I played ping, ping pong, pong and, and badminton, and, and I was actually a pretty good badminton player. And to this day, now that I've told you, if you saw me in a squash court, you'd say a ugly stroke, and b I can see the badminton. You know, it's very flicky. Right. Um, but I picked it up pretty quickly, and uh, and and just fell in love with it. But but yeah, in one year, that's amazing. So yeah. you really you're playing a lot. I was playing a lot. Just singles. Yes. First in, and, last out. You were. Yeah, you were I was this playing. This was your attitude. Like I'm playing almost every day. I, I just fell in love with the sport. Just fell in love with the sport, and it's 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 um it's addictive to get better at something, and and to you know and then each time I would get on the court, I felt like I was a little bit better than the prior week. Well, you were seeing improvement, right? right. And that's huge. Like in yeah. anything, if you yeah. if you have results, like right. oh, I used to get killed by that guy, right. now I almost beat him. Like right. that's a real help. Right. It was very addictive. Um, only singles. Only singles. I didn't right. start playing doubles until I sort of tore the meniscus of both knees. <laughs> so <you> got and, over. <laughs> and Tom Poor, Tom Poor essentially switched me over to doubles. Told me I was wasting my time. And ever since then, you've been a regular over there at the club and being involved. And yeah, I just got a letter saying that I'm now a 15 year uh, member of the university club. So it was 15 years ago that there I that I sort of right. started playing. Right. And, um, yeah. and and yeah. and along the way. I met Greg Zaff, um, and, and that was probably, boy, at least probably 12 years ago or so. I met I met Greg. You met him at a at a at a derby or I at actually some I actually practice I or? actually met him. Um, we were introduced. He was just happened to be playing some doubles at the University Club, and I met him. And he asked if I would play the derby, and I, I it was a very brief conversation. I didn't really quite catch on to what that was, and it was the very first derby that. That he was going to have it was like the, the inaugural where it all started, and, and this is a funny story actually. I'm sitting in my office one day, and my assistant comes running into my office, white as a sheet, and she said, "Ming Sai is on your line." And I looked at her and I said, "Who the bleep is Ming Sai?" And she looks at me and she goes, "Ming Sai, the Ming Sai. Pick up the phone. Don't keep him waiting." And I looked at her and I said, "Hey." 
calm down. I'm not taking a call from somebody I don't know. So uh, uh, I think Ming Tsai kept waiting for, for three or four minutes while she explained to me that Ming Tsai was a celebrity chef and she was, she so was, she was in be, love with him. Right. She watched his cooking show. Right. And she's like, you got to pick up the phone. I go, why would he be calling me? Right. So I picked up the phone and it turns out he's a squash player and he was captaining True, the team. Blue, True Blue, one of the... One of the four derby teams that was going to be. He wanted you on the team, and and he must have. I think Greg must have given him my name, and and he and he said we haven't met. So so I played in the very first derby, and and um, and, and got to know Greg, and along the way joined Greg's board, yeah. um, and and started our own team, Wallbanger, that went on to win ten consecutive. What? Oh, you you don't know your the, team has won. You don't team. know the legend I of Wallbanger. I do not. Oh, Jim. Um, I contribute to Sandy's uh, uh, team, yeah, Sandy Tierney's yeah, team, yeah, which should, I, is not Wallbanger. Well, well, you should know that Sandy's firm, <laughs> Sandy's firm sponsors Wallbanger. Oh, they do. Yeah, McCall and Almy um, is proudly emblazoned on the back of the jersey of Wallbanger. I mean, the Wallbanger jersey looks like a motor racing jersey. It's got a lot of companies that want their names on there. But a chief amongst them is Sandy's own firm, and he 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 says, "I cannot believe my partners would rather sponsor Wallbanger than the, the, the team I play on." Um, but yeah, because I know some of Sandy's fellow partners, and they sponsor Wallbang. Yeah, so you guys we have won on, ten in a row. We won ten in a row. We, um, you know, we obviously didn't exist for the first Derby. The second Derby that happened, um, John Smith, um, a fellow in the insurance business in New York City, uh, was in Boston at the time. John and I co-founded Wallbanger and co-captained it the very first year and finished runner runners up our first mm-hmm. Derby. All right. And John then left, and um, and then we won 10, 10 straight, and we just retired the team after winning the Derby this year. Ten in a row. Yeah, ten in a row, and clean. We retired. Done. We wear all blacks, and uh, we're sort of the the dark side. <laughs> and and, uh, and and you will often hear wall banger chants, three slams and a wall banger. But yeah, I'm surprised you haven't heard of it. How funny. Yeah. And are some of the guys on that team? They've done it every year. Every year. There's like, um, like who, who? There's um, Charlie Humber. Who uh, I captained that team for many years, and then I and then I actually chaired the Derby for three years, mm-hmm. and I gave up captaincy. But Charlie Humber and John Hyatt are co-captains. Um, David Drubner is on that team. Pat Malloy is, uh, I think, probably a ten-year veteran of that team. Uh, and then others have come and gone. Martin Heath has been a perennial uh, pro on Great. our team. Yeah. He's played on our He's team. He's come down from that. Yeah. Um, but whenever whenever he can't play, we've had Dan Sharplin, yeah. um, Johnny White. From, from here as, as, as played played on Wallbanger uh, they all tell me they covered their Wallbanger black jersey it's become a collectible now has it ever been close where you almost weren't going to yes. end up winning or? many times many yeah. times people only remember the ones where we we've won it walking away yeah. instead we've sort of sandbagged it but but um, I, I think we, we did the math on this and uh, John Nimick did the math on this and did a write up I think that that over the years in the 10 years um, we have raised well over $2 million for the Squash Busters program. Um, in eight of the last 10 years, our team has raised the most money of any team, which has really been the secret to, to winning because yeah. raising the most money gives us the top draft choice on the Squash Buster um, students that are on the team. Right. So we get, we get so the, top get the top draft top picks, yeah. and we, get two, two, we lock in two wins there. Um, but uh, yeah, it's 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 been a it's that's been a great ride. day, right? It's been a good ride, and and the team the team competes to to raise a lot of money, right. and and, right. and um, it's all it's really all about the program, actually. Wow. Yeah. 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 I mean that now a lot of those programs have these sort of gala days where yes. you're playing, but that that's sort of one of the famous, you know. And you watch the Derby at the end of the. Uh, 
We do. Actually, we watch it right before the pros get on the court, just okay. the way the timing works. We dim the lights, and then we have a big screen, and we have the running of the Kentucky Derby. And, and then, it's, it's and then the pros come out. Yeah, it's sort of a fun, it's become a fun tradition. Fun tradition. People always say, when's the Derby? I go, it's the same day as the Kentucky Derby, always the same Saturday, first Saturday in May. Right. Um, but it's become a fun event. And, you know, we managed yeah. to raise as much money as the Street Squash Cup that George Polsky runs right. in a much smaller market yeah uh, which which really just is a testament to Greg Zaff and right. and, and John Limick who helps run the Derby and yeah. and uh, Jeannie Glassberg's been right. involved with it and yeah. David Drubner and the people along the way yeah. but uh, yeah. people love so when did you get involved with SEA or NUSEA as a um, it was it was time for me to I think I was on the Squash Busters board for 10 years mm. and it was time for me to roll off um, I actually was the one that instituted term limits I, I'm a big believer in them. It's one of the first things I did on the SCA board when I joined is, is institute term limits. Yeah. And, uh, and and it was also a good way f- for me to assure that, that my time on Squash Busters was, uh, had, had an end date. Yeah. And, and I, yeah. think it's, I think those are important. I think it's good to, yeah. to, to tap into fresh networks and keep people fresh. Um, so, That's right. So as, as I was thinking about rolling off, I think Greg talked to Tim and said, you, you ought to talk to Amber about coming on to the yeah. SCA board. Um, at the time, it was Nusia, right. and um, and it was sort of an unusual thing. It, it's not often that a new incoming board chair is also new to the board. Right. Um, it, it was a little bit uncomfortable not having, uh, not not memory having. A, yeah. yeah I, I didn't really have a relationship with some of the directors that were on the board. Yeah. Um, but for whatever reason, I think when when Bill Simon was ready to step off. There wasn't anybody on the board that wanted to step up and share the board, right. so so you were you, so, you did yeah. So I walked on um, as chair, and it's it's been good. There's, there's there's a lot of work left to do. We've made some progress. Uh, I think the governance structure is a little bit better mm-hmm. now. It's a little bit more organized. Mm. We're, we're we're making sure that the directors are are contributing. Yeah, um, right. Not just financially, financially but, but, but with more work, yeah. uh, with work and and being involved with some of the committees and. The organization's too small. We can't afford enough full-time staff to get all the work done. So yep. part of the deal in, in joining a board like that, as you know, Jim, is to, um, is to, to, to give resources yep. that are non-financial. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Work, wisdom, and yes. wealth. Yeah. You got it. You yeah. got it. Yeah. What, um, what is the sort of near future looking like for SEA? What are, what are the sort of initiatives that you're, you know, focusing on? You know, the never-ending tug at SEA, when I when I joined um, SEA, I, I I wondered what its purpose was, mm. quite frankly. Yeah, uh, and and there wasn't really a clear mission for for the organization. So one of the early things that the board did was, was sit down after we renamed ourselves so that so that nausea doesn't show up every time you Google us. <laughs> uh, these things are always fun, right? I mean the. You had a discussion we had wh- whether it should be a plus sign or an ampersand. Yes, squash and I wish it was the ampersand. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. but you well, went with plus. You huh? were in the minority because <laughs> the, the plus did win out. Um, we did, we did, we did survey. Um, but but one of the one of the things we wanted to figure out is what is our purpose, that, right. and, and ultimately we found that there were there were two purposes that um, and there were two factions on the board. There was mm. the faction that felt that that we ought to emphasize. Um, taking the mission to new markets, mm-hmm. open up, yeah. s- help start as many urban squash programs as yeah. we can. Right. Um, there was another faction, frankly, very, uh, very dominated, not exclusively by by uh, the directors of urban programs, but but dominated by by that faction, where they felt that what 
SCA really ought to do is help the programs mm. um, the existing, better, existing, the existing programs, yeah. rather than spending time and, and, and energy and, and financial resources and starting new programs. Right. Let's at least take a look at the best programs. And I think some of the best programs are, are the earliest, uh, the, the, right. the most tenured programs, the oldest ones, right? The yep. ones in Boston and New York. Yep. And said, so let's get everyone to that level yep. and that level of not just, not just uh, uh, programming uh, excellence, but also financial stability yep. and, and governance. And, and then we'll worry about, and, and yep. that's right. not to say that, so part of what I've tried to do with the board is find a way to accommodate both, because I think we do need to do both. That's right. um, but we need to do both in a measured way. Yeah. And, um, and, and the, the helping the op- operational execution of the existing programs isn't the sexy stuff. That's a, a lot of mud yeah. wrestling and blocking and tackling. And what can, you know, so I'll give, I'll give you an example. With, with, the, with the whole hashtag MeToo movement and, and some of the cases of, of, of abuse of of student athletes, mm-hmm. um, it's it's become a real focus for us, and we're very concerned about all the the, the level of supervision with yep. the urban programs going off in buses and sometimes weekends being, being billeted yeah. by families and yeah. the safety of the students is a, is a big concern. That is a tough thing if you ask nineteen or twenty programs to go build a training program right. and a supervisory program. So one of the things we thought was we should do that centrally for them and let everyone yeah. be the beneficiaries of it. So we now have a national. Um, ombudsman-like hotline that's 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 shared with all the programs mm-hmm. and all the students and all the parents that they can call, whether they want to be on the record or do it anonymously, um, and and file complaints. I'd say we've already gotten a couple of complaints um, that we're investigating, and I'm happy to say that it's not really anything that anybody needs to worry about. But but that's so it and, works, yeah. But, but also works, yeah. but also a training program and require all employees of these programs um, to take the training program within sort of the first six weeks mm-hmm. of starting employment and then require a refresher for all employees every year as to what's appropriate behavior, what's not okay. Um, wow. And, and, and so we're trying to do, and, and you, can only, you can only imagine with things like a, a, uh, you know, a CRM database uh, that, that whether it's salesforce.com or you know, the a nonprofit version of that, yeah. Um, yeah. constant contact, you know, just ways of helping the programs a lot of things are better done and more economically done centrally. So that stuff is is a lot of execution, not really that sexy. Yeah, that sexy right. is descending. Hey, into we a have new a brand new program, and, right. and you know, bricks and mortar, building courts, right. um, fundraising for that's a lot easier yeah. to do. So. And there's more data out of that. You can you can show right. donors look at these right. numbers. Growth, right? Growth is you know, sexy. That's what they want. Yeah, yeah. growth they is sexy. They don't want better. They want right. growth. Yeah. They want growth, and and they want bigger. And yeah. And uh, that's absolutely right. Bigger is easier to sell, um, but better is required otherwise. And so we're we're trying to we're trying to walk the fine line and, and do enough of mm. both in the right yeah. right measure. Is um, there there's been a wonderful push internationally in the last five or six years? Is that going to continue and accelerate or decelerate? What what is what's the feeling about you know Canada, Colombia, India, England, sort of you know Israel? Like we're we're getting further out there is that going to continue or I, I think I think it will I mean the program in Israel is, is so inspiring yeah. and, um, and 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 certainly Canada Colombia and Chandigarh and India the, it, it's a tricky thing for SCA um, we, we we call our international programs affiliates yeah. and, and not full members and we're we're concerned twofold one is a lot of these markets we find really can't support 
programs like this. The philanthropic tendencies are not the same in every market as they are in the United States. Right. Um, in a lot of markets, the government is expected to take care of those in need. Right. In the United States, there's a, there's a burden of responsibility on people that are successful and wealthy. Um, uh, culturally, there's an expectation that they give back. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. so we're concerned about the financial sustainability. And frankly, Jim, we don't have the budget to have the staff to be to, going there. To be going there uh-huh. and, and helping start these programs. We've been very much of an inbound. Yeah. Um, if, 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 there's, if there's an interest and people want to do the work and they want to build a program like Esteban in, in Colombia, um, we will be as supportive as we can be yeah. um, to help them with, with sharing best practices right. and, and, and the like. But we're not, we're not going proactively out. going out and identifying foreign markets. Um, we yeah. also think it's a little tricky as we fundraise for U.S. fundraisers. Um, some U.S. fundraisers, I think, are perfectly happy to have their money benefit benefit underprivileged students in other parts of the world. Others are much more keen to make sure that their dollars go to yes. work to help yeah. American American yeah. students. Yeah, interesting. Is SEA going to get bigger? Um, you have half a dozen staff members. Yeah, we, we do, um, and we we hope. I mean, if we are to fulfill our mission the way we have it articulated, we'll mm. need to get bigger. It will mean that we need to raise more money. Um, and, and I think that's 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 a big hurdle for, for SEA. Yeah. It, fundraising is, is always a hurdle for any program. But I, I think about Squashbusters, where I, I was on the board for, for all that time. It was a it was a very it was a very <coughs> clear target market that you went after to raise money. Yeah. It's a little tougher with SEA because all of our potential donors most likely live in an area where there is an active squash community. And they're and already if, involved. And if there's an probably. area, an urban metropolis with an active squash community, yeah. there probably is an urban program and they're probably donating to it already. That's right. And so, um, you know, how do, the, how, do the, how do the executive directors of all these programs feel about us going into their markets? And um, I, I think that SCA has been very gun-shy about doing it. I, I feel we should be bolder. I, I, we, we were talking about it earlier off, off mic about different people of different philanthropic tendencies, and I think that SCA appeals to a different kind of donor or a different part of a donor's wallet mm. than a local program. Yeah. Um, so I, it, my, my view is if, if we can get every urban squash program donor to think about adding 5% of what they give to the local program as mm. an addition to give to the national program, be amazing. It, it will solve all of SEA's financial issues and allow us to, frankly, do the good work that, that they and, want, and that they, the but good they, work. they might not see. Right, yeah. right. And yeah. I, think, I think we've really got to think in terms of that yeah. and, and not be too afraid to upset um, the directors who we serve of yeah. all these I mean, they're programs. all, they're the... They're the uh, constituents right. they're, 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 yeah. and, and the one thing I feel strongly about is not charging a membership fee of the urban programs I, I think you know it's a little bit yeah. in, 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 in the corporate world we think of it as corporate overhead allocation and yeah. and uh, that would be a slippery slope I mean that's been talked about you know should the should the wealthy programs and I say wealthy uh, as in well funded yeah. programs like street squash and squash busters pay some kind of a fee into right. SEA and, and to keep it going yeah. but the reality mm-hmm. is I view those programs as net givers it's really those programs I mean for sure we have scholarship opportunities and summer pro, uh, program yeah. opportunities and tournaments for them to attend so they they, they they take but they also contribute very much to SEA to help educate and train yep. Well, they do informally. The I mean, I've seen that, you know, help, helping with uh, our program in Wilmington. You know, we've benefited right. from 
these uh, regional relationships and, right. and you know the, the sister programs helping right. us. So I feel strongly that we should fundraise for our own budget and really be net givers uh, mm. to the to the urban yeah. programs. And right. by doing so, they want our help. They want us involved, and, uh, and that's this, I think our best bet in keeping the alliance um, strong. Uh, strong. And, and and everybody uh, yes. buying in. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the growth has been. It's been amazing in the last ten years. It's incredible how, how well, you know many more programs and programs getting bigger. I mean, you know, tonight we're honoring uh, Abby and Squashwise, yes. and you know, in the last ten years they've they've gone from you know one hundred and fifty to eight hundred thousand budget. I mean, it's incredible. It's amazing. And Abby, of course, is on the board of SEA. Oh, she and, and, yeah, yeah, and 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 um, an amazing woman. I yeah. mean, some of the I'm so so grateful to to discover this sport. I wish I discovered it at an earlier age, like like my son did. Um, but some of the best human beings I know, uh, I've come game. to know yeah. through through the game of squash. Yeah. You know, people like uh, Greg Zapp and yeah. George Polsky and Tim Wyatt yeah. and Kevin Klipstein yeah. and Lenny Bernheimer and Tom Poor and Chris Barr, who's also getting honored tonight. Abby right. Marco, right. Uh, just amazing, amazing individuals. Yeah. That, that uh, it's 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 a curious thing about the sport of squash that, that it the, seems the community is so yeah. vibrant. Yeah. 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 And also now you're on the board of U.S. Squash. I am. I've actually been on the board of U.S. Squash for eight or nine years now. I should be should be rolling off soon. I, I would think. I, Let's talk governance. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. No, we have we have term limits at U.S. Squash, <laughs> yes, we do. And, yeah, and yeah. so so I should be rolling off. Yeah. It's it's been a wonderful experience, and yeah. and um, I, I am a I'm, I'm a big fan of Kevin's and, and, and the whole team there, and yeah. they're on display here. I mean, the, the nice thing about we're here at the U.S. Open, and, and this this tournament, I think, is a great display of just the operational excellence that yeah. that U.S. squash uh, staff get, yeah. are, are capable of, and and that's another amazing organization that's done a lot for the sport. Yeah, exactly. Now you're seeing it from uh, from these two angles: uh, the national governing body and the you know the the leading flagship organization of of this incredible movement. So yeah. there's like you know there's both sides of the. Uh, of what's happening? I mean, people say, "What's going on in the states?" Like these are the two driving, right. driving uh, catalytic, you know, forces. And I think I think that there's there's a certain amount of overlap uh, on those two missions. That's right. At, at the end of the day, we want the sport to grow. And we want to act, we create access. Create That's, access. Uh, and for yeah. a lot of these, a lot of these students in the urban programs, we need to make sure that they stay with the sport right. when they graduate from college or when they get to college and, and they need to right. come out and there need to be affordable places for them to join and play squash yeah, and stay right. with the sport and feel that they belong and, uh, and that's where the overlap comes in yeah. so I think it'll be important for U.S. squash and, and, and SCA to work closely together to, 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 there is a, there's a shared mission there so you and I were talking today about the uh, the next party, the next SEA gala. Yes, um, in, in the twenty fifth in the faulty the faulty map. <laughs> um, I'll let I'll let you resolve that one too. <laughs> um, and that obviously is just one tiny little part of what you uh, you guys are doing there. But but that'll be an exciting uh, uh, sort of. Um, crowning moment of, of the first quarter century and I, we'll probably look back in 50 years and be you know 25 years and say wow that was look how small it was back then or something but right now it feels pretty exciting it is exciting yeah. and it's going to be an amazing event it will bring I think it will bring together um, anyone that's anyone that's able to attend in the, in the sport of squash yeah. you know from, from college coaches to to professional players and retired professional players and, uh, and club players people in urban squash for sure, and, and the donor community, yeah. but just anyone that loves the sport, um, 
I think we'll we'll come together. It should be a should be a very memorable evening. Yeah, memorable weekend, right? I mean, last, last for the twentieth, there was you know all these workshops and That's right. Uh, it was a big you know three day. Uh, That's right. Three day event. We're, we're planning it already, and, and yeah. we've already we already have three co chairs that have signed on. Right. And, uh, and yeah. maybe we'll look for a couple others. Yeah. Uh, we have a venue that's reserved already. Uh, yeah, I think I heard Tim was talking about what that might be. I'm not sure that's uh, public. Yeah, I, I don't think it is. It will be New York City. Yeah, yeah. Very exciting. Yeah. yeah. It's tough to find a venue big enough. We're well, planning, I know. This is the thing, right? We're planning for it to be a huge event. Yeah. So. You know, four-figure attendance. Yes. Yes. Yeah. That's the idea. Yeah. Oh. Well, um, you, uh, I, I spent yesterday talking to Chris Robertson, who's the, uh, the national coach in Hong Kong. And, uh, you know, what's happening there is incredible. From when you left to now, it's you know, completely different now for squash. It's, it's a major sport there, and every, there's courts everywhere. And, you know, they're one of the top nations now, one of the, the Yeah, yeah, and, and I, I, I have zero squash experience in Hong Kong. It's amazing. amazing. I spent from zero to 18 of my life in Hong Kong, and um, and I, I I dare say I've never played squash in Hong in Kong. In your ever, hometown. Ever. And, and I, you know, I swing through Hong Kong at least once a year, maybe just for a night or so in, in business travels across Asia. I love, I love going back, even if just for a night, to catch a nonstop back to Boston yeah. and from Hong Kong, but... But yeah, I've never stepped on a squash court. Oh, it's, I think I'll it's time to, for you to yeah. I'll have to do it. Maybe yeah. I'll maybe I'll get to the Hong Kong Open one of these exactly. days. Exactly, right? That'd be a fun time to go. Yeah. If anybody I know that's ever at the Hong Kong Open, I always get these wonderful, wonderful Jack. selfies of them. I got one from Amanda Sobe not that long ago. Martin Heath and Amanda Sobe, I got a selfie from them when they were in Hong Kong, saying saying uh, you know in your hometown, and yet yet right. it seems like anyone's saying more than I am. Yeah. All right. Perfect. That was great. Right? Yeah, thank, thank you. you. It's great to talk. Yeah. And, uh... Outside the Glass would like to thank our producer, Grant Irvin, our social media manager, Lorel Holly, and all our loyal listeners who have reviewed and rated the podcast, shared their enthusiasm for it on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and most importantly, have spread the word by talking about Outside the Glass with their squash buddies.